That is a powerful passage. I'll be getting back to it in a little bit. Uh, I'm Greg Boyd, teaching pastor here with the Church of Your Visiting. It's good to have you here on this uh, very Minnesota-like Sunday morning. Got this morning, woke up around four, it's typical, and I just, I knew it was going to be cold, so I just checked the phone thermometer and said that it was 18 below, and it was going down to 20 below by six before it started getting warmer again. I thought, that's the Minnesota I remember, Ah. We liked it that way. Come on, that's, this pansy fall we've had is ridiculous. Let's get to some real true Minnesota folks here. By the way, we're, there are righteousness points this morning for braving it out at 20 below to come to church. Okay, so take those points. Okay, so you uh, might know this. In Acts 17, Paul is talking to these philosophers on the Mount Aragopagus. And one of the things he says there is really interesting. He, he says that God, from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve, from the fall has been working at every time, in every place, in every person's heart. Every, he's, he's working in their hearts to get them to be hungry for him and to seek him and even possibly find him. And so far as their cultural conditions allow for it and all those other factors, God wants to be known. He's desperate to be known. He's in love with every person that he creates. And he's working in their life to open up a space to bring them closer to him. And sometimes... If you look back on your life, and this is a good thing to do. In fact, it's good to, to just look back on every day this way. Hindsight is twenty twenty, And looking back, you can sometimes see points where God popped through. You didn't know it at the time. But you see how God has been active in your life all along. As I look back on my life, and especially the events leading up to my coming to Christ when I was 16 years old, I look back and I can identify points where God was sowing seeds, preparing me for this. There's three major stages that I can see. One was uh, when I was in seventh grade, or yeah, eighth grade, actually. Um, I had for two years now, when my parents divorced when I was 12, uh, my dad said, you know, I was raised Catholic, but he said, I never believed that crap. Uh, and I was just going to church to try to keep some peace in the family. So I said, I don't believe it either. So we both became atheists. So I've been an atheist for a couple of years. Um, but my sister started hanging out with these uh, Jesus Freaks. Some of you are old enough to remember early 70s, the Jesus Freak movement. Remember those? <laughs> they're a wild crowd. Uh, you know, they're, they're like the San Francisco love child, flower child thing, but they just were into Jesus. So there's all these hippies really into Jesus. And I went to a, a couple other meetings. My sister invited me. Uh, and I didn't really care much of what they were talking about and what they were teaching. What I, impressed me was they were very friendly and they were very generous with their pot. They, they, they would sit around... <laughs> And, and they just share this doobie, and it would go on, and they'd roll another one, and we'd be talking about Jesus. And after about three or four of those, it started to make sense, you know. <laughs> but I was just impressed that they were so generous, you know. It wasn't like, you know, it's your turn. Um, and, and God uses everything uh, to further his kingdom in our life. And so I'm not recommending this. I'm just saying, I'm describing what happened. I'm not prescribing what should happen. But um, my estimation of Jesus, I think, looking back on it now, went up a notch. Uh, just because these folks are so generous and so nice. <laughs> a couple years later, I'm on the wrestling team in high school. Used to be one of those wrestlers wrapping it up. And uh, on the way back from a meet, uh, we're in this bus. The whole team rode on a bus. And I was just chilling out with my head against the window. But in front of me, the seat in front of me, were our two best wrestlers. Roy Jordan and Tony Pickering. I still remember their names. Roy Jordan was this beast. 
Uh, the guy, he, he wrestled in the 120-pound class, so he was a smaller guy, but he would, before a meet, he'd get himself so psyched up. I mean, he was almost scary to be around. He, you couldn't talk to him, and he'd just get himself in this frenzy, and then when he got on the mat, it just kind of unleashed his fury, and, and he, he was just a wild man. One time he pinned this guy. He took third in state the year before uh, this event happened. And uh, um, uh, one time he pinned a guy in nine seconds. He just goes out there. He had this what's called a lateral drop, where you throw your foot between the opponent's legs, and then you, you, you hook him on the arm, and then you just fall back and, and twist, and you knock the wind out of him, and you can pin him that way. And this guy was so good at that. Went out there, lowered the guy, and bam. Three seconds later, the guy's... Uh, pinned. So the guy's a monster, and we just really respect that in wrestling. Tony Pickering um, never made it to state, but the guy was stacked. I mean, he had, he had these bulging muscles everywhere. He lifted weights all the time. But he was a real gentle, nice guy. And so it was, I, I just, and they're both seniors, so I really look up to these guys. I respect them. This one because he's so built, and this one because he's such a good wrestler. And so they start talking, and I'm leaning against the, the window, but I can, I'm kind of eavesdropping on their conversation, and they're talking about Jesus. And, um, I mean, as, as I'm listening in, it turns out Rory, this monster on the mat, was this passionate Jesus follower, really on fire. I would have known. Um, and, and, and he had just recently introduced Tony to Christ, and so Tony had, had become a follower. And they're talking Bible stuff. And I'm like, this is, didn't fit my category. So I, I actually leaned into them at one point, between them, and I said, you guys don't really believe that crap, do you? And, and Rory says, well, Greg, have you ever really looked into this? And I go, I was raised with that stuff. You know, it's a bunch of baloney. Religion is, 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 is for weak people who can't handle life. And Rory looked at me and goes, do I look weak to you? <laughs> you, you calling me a wussy? <laughs> I said, okay, I'll take that one back. But I was just like, amazed that, that these folks were taking this seriously. And because I had such respect for them, I think my estimation of Jesus went up another notch. Then, as a junior in high school, I started dating Brenda. Brenda, if you're watching, hi. Um, seriously doubt it, but um, and she, we really hit it off. Things were going real well. I thought for a while we were going to get married. But uh, um, at one point, she invited me to her church. She said, Greg, you know, you're always talking about is there a God or not, and is there a purpose to anything? Is there anything after death and all that stuff? Well, you might find it, this church interesting. It's kind of a different church, and it was. It was this radical Pentecostal church. But she invited me to it. Um, and it wasn't that she was, like, really into it at all. She was dating me, <laughs> a pagan, so I don't think she was, like, on fire for Jesus, but, but she just thought I would be interested in it, and so she invites me to this. And to her surprise... I liked it. Uh, it was weird, for sure. People hooting, hollering, raising their hands, clapping their hands, and all that kind of stuff. But I really felt empty on the inside. At this point in my life, I really was wondering, is there a purpose, a meaning to anything? And I was really feeling empty. But there was something there, a joy, a life that I longed for. And so I went back again and again and again. And uh, after six weeks, she invited me to this Friday night special service that, that the Bible school there was having. And this young lady, about 20 years old, delivered her first message ever, and she was very nervous, and she told us that. And she just kind of read it from a paper, very sheepishly. And I have no idea what she even said, but at the end she said, if you want to know Jesus, then come on up to the altar here. And I did. And I had an encounter with God that was just beautiful. I, I, I encountered the living God, the real God. And it changed my life, completely changed my life. It started me on a journey that I'm still on to this day. Uh, I had been in darkness 
Like that Isaiah passage says, there's a cloud of darkness over this world. And I was in darkness, and on some level I knew it. But little rays of light have been getting through to me, and here I encountered the one who is the light of the world and made all the difference. And see, I sometimes wonder, what would have happened if she had never invited me to that church? I, I, I was going in this direction, and now I'm going in a totally different direction. What would happen if she had such a small thing, such an insignificant thing, such a little thing, but God uses small things, little things, insignificant things, just random people. That's what God, God uses a bunch of pot-smoking hippies, if, if that's what's available, and, and, and that's how he furthers his purpose in people's lives. What would have happened if someone had invited me? So we've been talking about uh, God invading this world, this across the universe series, and the major metaphor we've been using, because it's a biblical metaphor, is about light, how God brings light into this world. And that, what we're going to see here this morning is that we have the honor, the privilege, and the responsibility of being conduits of light in this world. And in doing that, we are heirs of a promise and a vocation that we'll see goes back thousands and thousands of years. All right? So I want to read that prophecy that was given in this video we just saw. It comes from Isaiah, chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. And in this version, here's what it says. This is the NIV. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. And for that reason, nations are going to come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Now this... Prophetic word has three applications. And what I want to do in this message is kind of unpack those three applications. They're all interconnected and they build on one another. One of the ways that you know scripture is inspired is that there's sometimes you find layers that no human being could ever contrive or intend, but they're there. It, it's, it, it goes beyond what a human could ever contrive. There's three applications of this. First, Isaiah talks about this cloud that's over all of humanity, this thick cloud, this darkness. And that darkness is our bondage to the principalities and powers. And what entraps us, as I said last week, are the lies that we believe. The lies that we believe under their influence about God and about ourselves and about others. Every sin that a human being commits is predicated on a lie. And that's that cloud of darkness that's over this earth. But God, being a God of perfect love, doesn't abandon us to our self-inflicted bondage. Uh, his passion is to bring light to us, to free us from this darkness, to deliver us from this darkness. And, and so he puts a plan in place to bring light into this world. Now, he's, he's a God who's not at all a manipulative Machiavellian God, as Satan accused him of being in Genesis 3. He's not like that at all. He's a God who works by means of influence rather than coercion because he respects the person of all people. And he starts with the small and grows big. It's a mustard seed principle like Jesus taught about. It starts very, very small, but the goal is for it to grow and gradually encompass the whole garden or the whole earth in this case. And so God starts, he inaugurates his plan of bringing light into this world and delivering humanity from the darkness. He starts it with one person, a guy named Abraham. You read about it in Genesis 12. And he calls Abraham to be his covenant partner. And then he makes a very, very important promise, starting with verse 2 of Genesis 12. And he says, Abraham, I'm calling you to be a faithful covenant partner. And if you will remain faithful, you and your descendants will be blessed and you'll be a blessing to all the world. All the nations of the world will be blessed by you, you and your descendants. And so Abraham is the mustard seed chosen 
individual. And so his descendants, who were the Israelites, they become this chosen nation. And the promise is that if they walk in covenant with God, they will be blessed. So there's blessings that they'll receive, but they'll be a blessing to all the nations of the world. With this chosen nation status comes a promise of provision, blessings, special privileges, but also a vocation. Right from the get-go, there's this vocational aspect. And the vocation is for them to put on display the true character of God insofar as they themselves could receive it, which is sort of limited, but, but they're, they're put on display the truth about who God is and the truth about God's will. And that's to be a light to the nations that are in darkness. And as they can see the beauty of who God really is, <clears throat> the plan is that the nations will be attracted to that. And the goal is for all the nations, all the peoples of the earth, to enter into the same covenant with God that Israel had, and therefore experience the same blessings that Israel had. That was the goal. Now, the Israelites, descendants of Abraham, they loved the privileges and the blessings. Uh, they weren't so hot on the vocational aspect of things. And so they, they didn't do a good job at putting on display God's character to the other nations. In fact, the Israelites began to see themselves sort of as a special privileged holy club, and, and contrasted themselves with the unholy pagans. And, and instead of having light that is to be shared for people to get free from the darkness they're in, they begin to see themselves as the people of light who are superior to those who are in darkness. And they begin to look down on and judge the very people they're supposed to be attracting and serving. So Israel as a nation failed miserably at this, this, this job that they were given. Um, now, the, 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 the thing is that in the original context of this prophecy that we just read, Isaiah 60, its original application is to the nation of Israel. Isaiah is speaking to the children of Israel. And so what's being declared here is this. The Lord is saying, Israel, though you have, have, have failed miserably at this job of attracting the nations to enter into a covenant with, with, with me, though you've failed miserably at sharing the light that you've been given, there will come a time when Yahweh will bring your light to you. In fact, there'll come a time when Yahweh will be your light and the glory of God is going to hover over you and it will be like a beacon of light in the sky and then all the nations will be attracted to you and the kings will be attracted to you. This plan, this promise that I made to Abraham is going to be fulfilled. Now, it's pretty clear that on a national level at least, it's, it's not fulfilled. Um, Ask yourself, this, this prophecy was given in 800 B.C. And has there been a time since then, in the last 2,900 years, where Israel has just been a beacon of light to the other nations, where, uh, where Israel's been a blessing to all the other nations, and the way they blessed those other nations attracted those nations uh, to, to Yahweh, and, and they've entered into the same covenant that, that, that Israel had. Has that ever happened in history? Uh, think about it now. If you look, look at the Middle East, would you... Would you say that the Palestinians over in the Middle East are just like saying, oh, the Israelites are such a blessing to us, and, and, and the beauty of, of, of the character of God they put on display just attracts us to them. We're attracted to you, Israelites, and, and want to enter into the covenant with your God that you have. No, I don't think any Palestinians would say that. The re truth is that throughout most of history, the Jews have been in conflict with the other nations that they're supposed to be attracting. So this... On the surface, at least, it looks like this prophecy is, has not been fulfilled, which leads to the second application of this prophecy. In the New Testament, Jesus is portrayed as being the true Israelite. Jesus is portrayed as being 
really embodying all of Israel. Jesus is presented as the one who fulfills everything that was promised to Israel and fulfills the vocation that Israel was called to. Jesus is, the, in his own person, the walking, talking Israel. And so we, we find this. Paul, Paul interprets Genesis 12 in a very unique way, in the light of Christ. Here's what he says in, 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 in uh, Galatians. He says, The promises, those promises I just mentioned in Genesis 12, were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Now, Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, and that one person is Christ. Now, there's a lot of exegetical things we could get into here, what's going on with Paul's interpretation. But the main thing is this. In the light of Christ, Paul is looking at Genesis 12 very differently. And what he's saying is that the promises that was made to Abraham was not primarily to Abraham and his many, many descendants, the nation of Israel. It was to Abraham and to one descendant, and that is Christ. And so he sees Christ as fulfilling uh, the promises that were given to Abraham. It's all there in the person of Christ. That's why Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 1. He says, for in Christ, no matter how many promises God has made, there are a lot of them, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to us to the glory of God. Paul is saying that all the promises, all that thing in the Old Testament, it all is fulfilled in Christ. All the promises are yes in Christ. Jesus is the, the Israel that God says yes to. It's fulfilled in him. So Jesus is Israel, putting on display the glory of God and attracting the nations. This is why Simeon... Um, an interesting character in the New Testament. He's this old guy who had gotten a word about the coming Messiah and he didn't want to die until he saw the Messiah. And so they bring Jesus as a baby to him while he's in the temple. And he says this. Luke chapter 2 says this. You may now dismiss your servant in peace. God, I'm ready to die because I've seen what I wanted to see. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles who are dwelling in darkness and the glory of your people Israel. What Simeon is saying here is this. Isaiah had prophesied that someday Yahweh would bring light to Israel. And Simeon is saying, this is it in the person of Christ. Uh, Isaiah prophesied that someday the glory of God will just be permeating Israel. And Simeon is saying, this is it. The glory of God is on this person. He's the fulfillment of Israel. Isaiah prophesied that someday all the nations will be attracted uh, to that light. And Simeon is saying, this is the one, this is the light of the world that's going to attract all the nations. Everything that Israel was called to be is found in the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is Israel fulfilling those promises. Jesus is the, the descendant of Abraham who's going to bring salvation uh, to the Gentiles who dwell in darkness. It's all found there in Jesus Christ. So Jesus fulfills Isaiah 60. But then again, in a sense, he doesn't, does he? Let's look at that prophecy again. It says that, that rise and shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises over you. Darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears upon you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. If Jesus in every sense of the word fulfills this, I mean, all the promises are fulfilled in him, and yet... Why is there still darkness over the earth? Why are people still drawing in this thick cloud of lies? Why, are, why is it the case that all the nations aren't coming to Christ? They're not beholding the glory and seeing the beauty and being attracted to the beauty. Why aren't they entering into the covenant uh, that we have with, with God through Jesus Christ? There's a sense in which this still is not fulfilled. 
And that brings us to the third application of this prophecy. And it has to do with you and it has to do with me. Um, what I want us to see here is that the church is called to fulfill Isaiah 61 through 3 in the exact sense that ancient Israel was called and in the exact sense that Jesus actually fulfills Isaiah 61 through 3. So here's what you need to know. In the New Testament, Paul says that the true descendant of Abraham is not one who's necessarily the physical descendant or one who keeps the law, but rather the true descendant of Abraham is one who believes the way Abraham believes. All who believe the way Abraham believes are the children of Abraham. And the reason that's the case, now follow this, is because when you put your faith in Christ, you're united with Christ. You're actually in Christ. The phrase is found dozens and dozens of times in the New Testament. We're in Christ. We're united with Christ. And so all that is true of Jesus Christ gets applied to us. That's why we're declared righteous and holy and blameless and all that stuff. All that's true of him is true of us. In fact, we're loved by God with the same love that he has for Christ because we're in Christ. But Jesus is the true Israel, the fulfillment of all of God's hopes and dreams for Israel, and we're united with him, which means since he's the true descendant who fulfills all that's true for Israel, we are the true descendants of Abraham, and we are the fulfillment of all of God's dreams for Israel. That's why Paul says in Romans 4 that, that uh, whoever believes, uh, father is the Abra Abraham is the father of all who believe. All who believe are his descendants. In Romans 11, he's talking to Gentiles, and he says, you Gentiles, when you believe, you're grafted into the, the people of God. You're grafted into the true Israel. You're made spiritual Jews, if you will, which in Paul's theology are the true Jews, the ones who believe the way Abraham believes. And, and in fact, in Galatians 6, Paul calls the church the Israel of God. He's speaking not just to Jews, but to Jews and Gentiles. But by virtue of your faith and by virtue of your union with Jesus Christ, the true Israel of God, you are the Israel of God. And so what that means then, folks, is this. That if Jesus fulfilled the promises that were given to Abraham and, and his descendants, if he's the fulfillment of that, and we're in him, then we are the fulfillment of that. If Jesus is Israel glorifying God, uh, before the nations, then we are Israel glorifying God before the nations. If, if, if Jesus is the light that shines through Israel, that pierces the darkness, then we are called to be the true Israel uh, that, that has the light of Christ shining through us and piercing the darkness. And if Jesus is the true descendant of Abraham, who is called to bring salvation to the nations who dwell in darkness and deliver them from that darkness, and we are in Christ, then we are called to be the true Israel that brings salvations to the nations and frees them from the bondage of the darkness that they're in. We're united with Jesus, who is the true Israel, and that means that we who believe in him and are united with him are the true Israel. We're heirs of that same promise that was given to Abraham thousands and thousands of years ago. When God first started his plan to deliver humanity from the darkness that we were under, we're heirs of that promise. We're the most recent generation of something that goes back all the way back to, to Genesis chapter 12, and it's the central aspect of our calling. Like ancient Israel, as we are in Christ, the true Israelite, we have blessings, and we have many of them, but we also have a vocation. And that vocation is to be the light of the world. That vocation is to let the glory of God shine through us in a way that attracts other people into the kingdom so that they too can share in the light that, that we are given. So that's why Jesus said this. He says, you are the light of the world. 
a town that's built on a hill cannot be hidden, and neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. That's what a candle is for. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the calling of the church. We receive light, but the light's not just for us. No, the light is to enlighten others. God opens up our hearts and minds to see the truth, but he does that not just for our own sake, but so that we can then be used to open up other people's minds and hearts, to work with God in that. We receive salvation, and it's wonderful, it's glorious, but it's not just for us. It's so that we can be the means by which God brings salvation to others. And we're united with Christ, and that's glorious, but it's not just for our benefit. We're united with Christ for the purpose of being used to help other people become united with Christ. And we're heirs of the glorious promises that were given thousands of years ago to Abraham and his descendants. But those promises are not just to be kept to us. They're given to us so that we can then be used to give it to others, to share with others. Um, The purpose of being blessed is to be a blessing to others. Another way to put it is that what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 5 is that the purpose of light is to dispel darkness. That's the purpose of light. So if you have a city that's lit up, you don't put it in a valley, you put it up on a hill. And the ancient world, the rationale behind that is that you have wanderers out there in the darkness and they don't know where they're going unless they have some kind of beacon of light. So you put it on a hill where people can see it. And the purpose of light is to lighten up a house, so you don't put it under a bowl. That defeats the purpose of, of, of the light. And the light we're talking about is the glory of God. And see, God is only glorified when people see that glory. If you're glorifying God in the privacy of your room, that's wonderful between you and God. Hallelujah. But it's not just about you. It's for others. And the glory of God's got to be seen. Otherwise, it's like a tree falling in the forest when no one's around. It doesn't make a sound because there's no ears around and sound requires ears. So it, it does no good. Or you could be playing the most magnificent concerto in the world uh, in, in, in the privacy of your room. But if you're deaf and the room is soundproof, it's not going to benefit the world a bit. So also the glory of God is, God is glorified when people actually see his character and will put on display. So it's got to get out there. It's got to shine. The purpose of light is to dispel darkness, which means it's got to be coming in contact with the darkness. And so our call is to fulfill Isaiah 60. Actually, Isaiah 60 is already fulfilled, but people don't see it. And the only way they're going to see it is if we shine it. Jesus is all of that, the fulfillment of the glory of God shining through Israel, the light coming through Israel, salvation coming through Israel. Jesus is that. But we are his body, and they won't see it unless his body puts that on display. And this is the vocation of the church, uh, the central aspect of our identity. The thing is that we, if we're honest with ourselves, and we have to be, we often fall into the same trap as the ancient Israelites. Um, we often do put our light under a bowl. We keep it... It's, it's, it's the bowl of our own private life. We keep it quiet. It's, it's you know, just a, a me and Jesus kind of thing. No one else has to know about it. And, 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 and so the light gets squandered. Uh, or we, we, we put a city, a, a community of people who are light in a valley. Uh, you know, when Christians just hang out with other Christians all the time. No time for anyone dwelling in darkness. Because it's more convenient. You know, you like to hang out with people who think like you and share your beliefs and your passions and your interests and, and, and your lifestyle and wear your kind of clothes and listen to your kind of music and vote your kind of vote, maybe, I don't know. Uh, but it, it's, you know, birds of a feather flock together. So we can kind of huddle down there in the valley and we all have this light, but it's not going anywhere. No one can see it. 
And so it's not serving the purpose of dispelling the darkness. To dispel the darkness, light's got to come in contact with darkness. And what I think, and so we fall into the same trap as the ancient Israelites. It happens, does it not, that Christians can sometimes begin to define themselves as the private, privileged, holy club over against those pagans out there. And, and instead of seeing that we've got light for the purpose of enlightening others and delivering them from darkness, Christians sometimes see themselves as the light people who are superior to the people who are dwelling in darkness. And so as was true of the ancient Israelites, we sometimes look down on and judge the very people we're supposed to be serving and attracting. Uh, the, the beauty of the character and the, the love that we shower on them is to be the mechanism by which they're attracted to the light. But instead, we often look down and judge them. And what God is saying to us, folks, I think this morning... Um, is, is just this, don't fall into the same trap as the ancient Israelites. You've got so much more light, more light than they ever dreamed of. And in fact, you're united with the one who is the light of the world. Uh, your light of the world is simply a reflection of him being the light. You've got so much more. Don't fall into the same trap as the ancient Israelites did. Never forget that, yes, there's blessings, but there's also a vocation, and it's a central part of your identity. Never forget that you're called to be the fulfillment of Isaiah 60. Never forget that you're heirs of the promise and the vocation that goes back to when God first inaugurated his plan of bringing light in the world into this world. Never hide your light. Let that light shine in order that people may be set free. Those who dwell in darkness may be set free from the darkness that they're under. Put it up on a hill. Get it out from under the bowl. Put it on a lampstand. You're united with Jesus, the one true faithful Israelite, which means your true nature is to be the faithful Israelite. Uh, live according to your true nature as you are united with Christ. And the faithful Israelite does what Jesus does, and he's always putting on display the character of God. In, in, in word and in deed, let your light shine. We are the fulfillment of Isaiah 60, folks, which means we're called to uh, just let the glory of God be reflected in what we do and what we say and how we interact with others to attract them and invite them in on the same covenant that you have. You are blessed in this covenant with God through Jesus Christ in order to be a blessing to others that they may share in that same covenant. That's been the plan all along. I'll close with this. The major challenge on this, I think, folks, is, is to not fall into the typical mindset, uh, typical world mindset, because the typical world mindset is always focused on ourselves. I've got issues. I've got things I've got to do. I've got stuff I've got to achieve. I've got this, and me and my loved ones. And, and, and we, we, we just sort of orbit our own little planet. What it is to, to, to live as a faithful Israelite is to know that you're, you have a vocation that goes beyond yourself. It's not just about you. To remember that you, you're here on assignment. You have a job. You have a responsibility. It's your greatest honor, your greatest privilege, but also your greatest responsibility. Um, and, and so what it means is that we have to have other people on our radar screen. Encourage people to pray about who God would put on your radar screen so you can begin to shine light on them. And it's not an awkward thing or a weird thing or anything like that. It's just a matter of, of, of being who you really are in relationship with, with others. Uh, and, and start to pray for them, knowing that God is already at work in their life. Start to pray for them. And then look for opportunities to shine light and to share words and invite them into the covenant that you have with, with, with Christ. doesn't take an expert. doesn't take a lot of education. doesn't take anything except a, 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 a voice that's willing to bear witness. Bear witness to the truth that you've encountered uh, in Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Now, we're, we're, we should be doing this all the time. But Christmas, if you're an ambassador of Jesus in America, and I'm going to speak to American ambassadors, 
folks out there in podcast land, if you're in a different country, apply it in your own way. But here, Christmas presents a unique opportunity. Uh, it's just a funky part of our culture, I, and I don't understand it. I've never understood this. I'm just wired so differently. But it is the case that uh, around Christmas and Easter time, those are like two religious moments in American culture. And there are people who have no faith in Christ, or if they have any faith in anything, they only think about it two or three times a year. Um, and it, it's, it's just those moments make it easier to invite people uh, to, to dialogue about the things of God or invite them to church. There are people who, every Christmas we get this, people who otherwise would never think about going to church, either they have no faith or they only think about faith on Christmas and Easter. But they come to church on Christmas and Easter. It's just what you do. It's part of like you're supposed to. People who are atheists, well, it's time to go to church because it's Christmas. It's part of celebrating Christmas. And that will eventually die out, but right now it's still got some currency. And so this is a great opportunity to invite friends who otherwise maybe would be more resistant than they would be this time of year. So here's the deal. Next, this coming Christmas Eve, a week from yesterday, I'm going to preach a 25-minute sermon. Honestly, you've got to believe me on this one. It'll be 25 minutes. You can, you can clock me. Uh, I want to keep it short, and it's going to be geared entirely towards uh, people who are not committed followers of Jesus. And so what we're asking you to do in light of our vocation, is to pray about who God might want you to invite to this service uh, and start praying for them and look for an opportunity to invite them. Uh, to make it really easy, because it should be easy, um, it's, a, it's a little invitation, and it's so small, but I, I'm here to, t it's, and some of you can testify with me, it can make all the difference in the world. Where would I be if I hadn't been, if Brenda hadn't invited me to church, where would I be? I don't know. I, I, don't, I doubt I'd be up here talking to you about Jesus. I don't know where I'd be, but an invitation changes everything. And so there's this card that you have in your bulletin um, across the universe. And it's just an invitation to, to, the, uh, to the church service on Saturday, Christmas Eve. If you want more of these, we've got tons of them out there. And we encourage you to spread the word, okay? Just invite folks to this. Final thing is this. If this is your body, if you identify Will and Hills as your body, would you commit to praying for this service every day this week? Just pray that God shows up. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Pray that we can sense that in a tangible, powerful way. Uh, pray that people's um, hearts and minds are being opened. Pray that light explodes. I'd love to see dozens, if not hundreds, of people come into the light, you know? Wherever they're at, they'd come, come further. And I'd love to see disciples being made. God loves them. All around us, there are folks who dwell in darkness. They don't know they're in darkness, because if you're in darkness all the time, it's normal to you, but they're dwelling in darkness. And at some level, and they don't know this often either, but, but they're hungry for light. And they won't know it until they see light. There'll, there'll be something that, they, that their heart goes, what happened to me that first time I came to that church? It's like there's something here that's yes. I have a lot of reasons for saying no to all this weirdness, but there's something that says yes, and the yes beat out the no. Uh, we want people to come into a light that they can say yes to. And so pray about that service, okay? That God shows up um, and expect great things from God. Folks, we are, we are in the one who is the true descendant of, of Abraham, which makes us true descendants of Abraham which comes with wonderful privileges, but also a vocation. Let's be faithful in living out that vocation. Be light to the world. Amen? In word, in deed, in every way possible. Let that love and that light and that glory shine through you and attract those you come around, those who you have influence over, track them into the same covenant that you share with Jesus Christ. Would you stand?
Uh, if you're here this morning and have any need whatsoever that could use prayer, uh, we'll have prayer teams up here, assuming their Margie car, cars got started. Uh, and and um, I encourage you to come forward and pray with these folks. They'd love to minister to you. Or if you're here this morning and you're not a committed follower of Jesus, but there's something calling on you, I encourage you to listen to that voice. Come up here and talk to these folks about becoming a follower of Jesus. Fathers, we leave here. I pray we do it with uh, just uh, uh, something beating in our heart that says, let the light shine. I thank you, God, for calling us to be the heirs of the promise and the prophecy of Isaiah 60. Lord, let your glory shine over us. Let it shine through us. Give us boldness. Lord God, set us free to be the means by which you draw people whom you love into a relationship with yourself. In Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, say amen. 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 Go out and shine in the world.